Here at ICP, we are a community of Christ followers from many different cultures and languages and backgrounds and traditions. And uh, today, as we um, celebrate the resurrection and we celebrate communion, uh, I want us to, to do the traditional um, proclamation that you would make in an Orthodox background from Christianity, but we're going to do it in, in Russian. And um, my Russian is even worse than my Czech, so I'm not going to try to really pronounce too much of it. It's only, fortunately, it's only four words, so, and two of them are repeated. That really helps me out a lot. But if we can put the greeting up on the, up on the screen, um, and I'm going to ask either Alex or Svetlana to help us say these properly, okay? Do you want to do it? Say that one more time. Okay, that's what I get to say. Christos vokres. Okay, you get to say. Got it? One more time. Okay, now stand up. And do it like you mean it. So you see it there in Cyrillic. You see it there in um, Roman letters as well as in English. So, Christos vokres. Christos Voiscres. Christos Voiscres. He is risen. Isn't that the great hope? Yes. He, okay, we can do it in English too. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. That is the hope for the whole world. No matter what culture we come from, no matter what language that is our heart language, this is the hope that we have is that Christ is risen. And the truth is, every Sunday is Resurrection Day. You may or may not recognize this, but the reason why we worship on Sunday is because of the resurrection. Prior to that, the Jews always worshiped on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, which was Friday evening through Saturday. But it changed in recognition of the greatest event, the greatest hope in all of time and history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So every time that we come together on a Sunday, we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And his resurrection changes absolutely everything. Now, we're going to go back and back into our series on 1 Peter. Um, but one of the things that we looked at last week as we, we focused in on the resurrection is we looked at a promise that we have that comes out of Philippians that kind of ties into the resurrection with the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today in 1 Peter. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it's a reminder. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That is so important for us to remember. Remember where our true citizenship is, that it is in Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven, ambassadors on earth. And today's passage from 1 Peter that you just heard read gives us very practical instruction about how to live as Jesus' representatives on earth, as his hands, as his feet, as his heart, as his voice. That's what we're being instructed to do. Now, 
to, to set the background, I wanna, want you to think about and imagine in your minds a, a culture or a society, something like this. It's very technologically advanced. It was the most technologically advanced society the world had ever known. It is multicultural and yet filled with growing divisions. Materialism ruled the day. People believed that meaning came from power, from beauty, from health, from wealth, and from abstaining from some practices and some foods while embracing others. In that culture, in that society, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. And those in between seem to be getting fewer and fewer. Immorality is not only overlooked, but it is often celebrated within that culture. Good for me was right. No matter whether or not it harmed someone else or was good for others. Human trafficking was a growing problem. In that society, Tolerance is heralded as long as one also agrees with the popular beliefs of the day. But in that setting, in that culture, there is a growing hostility towards Christianity and towards Judaism. Persecution has caused many believers already to flee their homelands. And soon persecution will grow so intense that many of the leaders of the church will be killed for their faith and the average church member will experience intense persecution. That's the society that Peter is writing to. It's a society very much like our own and like where ours appears to be headed. And so what he says here is incredibly practical to us because he's giving instruction because we need to remember what happened. In that setting, the persecution of followers of Jesus rose, but so did the growth of the faith and, and the outreach into reaching virtually all of the earth. More and more and more and more people were coming to Christ in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And so what Peter is calling the believers in the first century to do, I believe the Holy Spirit would call you and I to do today as well. And, and, and let's back up and look at the context for just a moment. Look back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. He begins with beloved. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. I, I told you, I think this may be the most important word for us to hear is beloved. Because it means that you are special. You are precious to God. In fact, one way you can translate it is you are his favorite. That's how much he loves us. And so when Peter is writing this, he is speaking to remind the people how much God loves them. And then the next phrase goes on and he says, I urge you as sojourners or pilgrims and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keeping your conduct among the Gentiles or among the nations honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The day of visitation means the return of Christ. In other words, we're to remember that our citizenship is in heaven and to live lives that dispel all of the false beliefs, 
all of the misconceptions about Jesus and about Christianity and to have our conduct be such a bold testimony that there's nothing they can accuse us of and that they see there's something different. It is into that setting he gives these instructions. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every it be the emperor as how many of you want to know the will of God for your life anybody here you go okay he's going to tell us this is the will of God for you you're beloved you're a citizen of heaven you're an alien in a foreign land here's the will of God for you for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. He gives very practical instruction that is incredibly hard to do because this is generally not how we respond as the church. Too often, we miss what God wants to do because we respond out of our own strength, out of our own resources, rather than His. This response is not a natural response to a world filled with ideas and beliefs and practices that are contrary to God's Word. But He says, when you live this way, you are doing my will and you will actually advance the gospel. You will proclaim who Jesus really is because they will see lives that are transformed. And he says, this is the will of God for you. Do good. Secondly, treat all people with respect. Thirdly, love one another. Be devoted to one another. And then fear God. Make sure that we give him the right position and the right understanding of who he is, that he is the one in control. That's God's will for us. It'd be a great passage for us to memorize. Because if you want to see what God's desire is for you, you're going to find some really practical instruction that affects how we respond to society, how we respond politically, how we respond in the workplace, and how we respond in our homes. That's what he's trying to point us to, is to be something radically different than what the natural human response is. And he focuses in on honor, on respect. Respect is desperately missing in our world. Think about the conversations that you see on Facebook. Think about the news programs in all of our, of our countries Do you see respect and honor being demonstrated? Or is it simply an argument where people build up walls on each side and there is no dialogue, there's little progress over issues because there's so little respect, so little honor. Therefore, communication does not happen. But the promise here is if we will choose to be a people of respect, who truly love each other and have a life-altering awe of God for who he is, it will silence those who mock Christianity. It does not say 
to argue or to boycott your way into convincing others to a, a political position, but for us to do good and show respect for each person. I think maybe a, a way that we could put it, at least I'm able to, to put some handles on it, is that we need to become spiritual diplomats. You know, we have uh, oftentimes in our congregation people that, that come from the different embassies here in our city. And, and a diplomat, they have to learn some from really important skills. They don't always say what they're thinking. They have to choose their words carefully because they want to say words that will connect with another culture, with another people, in order to, to bring their nations together and to be able to work things out. That, I believe, is what Peter is calling us to, is to not um, lower our standards in any way, but to be very intentional about how we communicate, to become spiritual diplomats. We need to be intentional to think about what we say and how we say it so and how it will be interpreted by others. Communication is not what you or I say. Communication is what others hear and understand. And there is a big, big difference, especially when we come from different worldviews. We need to make sure that what the other person is hearing and understanding is what we're trying to communicate. Because oftentimes, before you get very far, there's already an interpretation of what you mean and where you're coming from that closes down the dialogue. As followers of Jesus, we should be very good, very schooled at apologetics. We should know what we believe, why we believe it, and the facts upon which it is built. We need to learn those things. But equally, we need to be skilled in diplomacy and how we communicate those facts so that it speaks to the hearts of others. You see, what God is calling us to is not to transform society, but to reach the hearts and minds of people for eternity, to have men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is where transformation happens. In the first century that Peter was writing to, there was intense persecution, but within a relatively short period of time in history, Christianity went from being the most persecuted group to the dominant influence on society because they responded in the way God's word told them to do. I don't really know what this looks like. I just see God placing conviction on my own heart and, ask, and, and prompting me to become more and more prayerful about how I respond to others because I want to make sure that others see Christ. They see who he truly is in me and through the words that I say. We want others to see in us and then hear from us the goodness, the greatness, the holiness of God. The theological principle, I believe, here in this passage is that followers of Jesus should strive to live as exemplary citizens within their respective societies in order to demonstrate a life transformed by a relationship with Jesus to the unbelieving world. 
This principle does not mean that believers should embrace the sinful um, practices and and, uh, aspects of their culture. Rather, it encourages followers of Christ to engage in appropriate societal involvement to reach others for Christ. Because we need to remember that a relationship with Jesus is not a religion. It's not about doing spiritual activities. Rather, a relationship with Jesus impacts every part of who we are. Therefore, the Bible gives us these practical instructions. Now, I want you to think about how revolutionary these words are. Because when Peter says, honor the emperor, I got to tell you, if I received this letter in the first century and, and he said, honor the emperor, knowing who the emperor was, I would be going, I don't think so. The emperor at this time is Nero. Nero was a horrible man. He was not someone that you would respect based upon his practices. And the fact was, amongst the Caesars Caesars in the first century, there was a a cult that basically said Caesar is God. That's what they would present themselves as. And so it was an absolute um, offense to the gospel. If you remember the charge that the Jewish leaders brought against Jesus before Pilate was that he sets himself up against Caesar. He says he is Lord and only Caesar is Lord. And so the religious leaders, because they wanted to find a way to get Jesus convicted under Roman law, they put him in opposition with the deity that they recognized of Caesar. That's the kind of attitude that this culture has. But it gets much worse because these very words that Peter is saying, when he says, honor the emperor, Peter was executed under Nero. He was crucified upside down in Rome. He chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't believe that he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus the Lord. And yet he writes these words. The same is true with the Apostle Paul. Paul was beheaded after he had appealed his, his case to the emperor, to Nero. And the end result was a death sentence. And so Peter, in writing here, recognizes it's not going to be easy. It's going to be filled with suffering and with hardship, but it's going to advance something far more important, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because as people see who Jesus is as demonstrated through the lives of his followers in their faithfulness in the midst of suffering and persecution, the gospel will be advanced. And that's what he's setting his focus on. He's calling us to, dis- to spiritual diplomacy in a world that was truly set against everything that followers of Christ believed and wanted to practice. But they were called to be diplomats. And here's, here's how I think the, the key to that is. We need to do everything that we do as if Jesus was standing right next to us. Every post that we make on social media, we need to do it as if Jesus is reading it over our shoulders and ask, is this what he would write 
in response. In the conversations that we have, in the actions that we do, as we're walking down the street, looking and maybe on our, our way for our agenda, we need to be thinking and praying, Lord, what do you have for me today? What is your agenda? What is it you want me to accomplish? And the reason why it's so important for us to practice that within, within our thinking is because Jesus really is right there with us because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you place your faith in him, his Holy Spirit resides in you. His presence is right there with you. And so is his power that can transform broken lives and give them the hope that this world is so hungry for. Because you see, the power of seeing faithfulness in the lives of believers is that when, they, when outsiders see that there is hope, that there is courage, that there is faithfulness, that there are relationships, there are marriages, there are families that grow closer and closer together despite the adversity that they're going through, it communicates that there is something radically different than what they have. They can see that something is missing and you have it. That something is Jesus' presence in our life. And so today, what I, what I uh, want to call us to is the submission of a saint. And, and I'm doing a little bit of a play on word. The word submission means that we place ourselves under, but we also have a sub under mission of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to show others the Father. Our submission is to seek and to save the lost by the power of the Holy Spirit and to show others who Jesus really is. We submit ourselves to the authority of God in order to join in the very mission of Christ. And so at least for this morning, when you see submission, I want you to translate it both ways in your mind. That you place yourself under the authority and lordship of Jesus and that you enter in to his life mission because that's what we're being called to. Our life purpose is rooted in the mission of Jesus in showing others who God truly is in truth and in grace. And both of those come together in the message of God's word and in the person of Jesus Christ. We will never fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ if we do not follow his example of submission to the Father, where he came to do the Father's will and not his own. We are to place ourselves under his example and into the mission of Jesus. And so that brings us to the service of a saint. This is what I believe Peter is talking about right here. Jesus set an example in his submission to the will of the Father. He humbled himself and became a servant. A servant who was persecuted, betrayed, abandoned, beaten, and crucified. But that wasn't the end of the story. He was risen by the Father and he was exalted because he is God. And so our service as a saint should be rooted in our identity. We are the beloved. And our vertical identity in Christ should transform our horizontal relationships. Your up and down identity in Christ 
should be what determines how you respond to others and how you treat them. It should drive the attitudes and actions of your life, not in a reaction to what happens around you, but they should be driven by who we are in Christ, not by our circumstances. As a servant, we submit to the authority structures God established. That's part of what he's indicating here. God created authority structures as coverings of protection and provision under which people are meant to find security. Now, granted, we live in a broken world and oftentimes those authority structures are flawed or corrupted. Sometimes they're evil. But the principle is there in how we are to respond. And that's why Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Not because this government is good or what it should be or what we agree with, but we submit, uh, we are subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He's giving us some really important instruction. We are to obey and honor governing authorities. God established order. And human government, whatever its form, is far better than anarchy. We may have strong opinions on what types of government are, are the most effective and, and that are best. Um, and we can work actively within the rights that we are given to see transformation happen in those, in those governments. But we need to remember that God will use government to accomplish his purpose, even if it is flawed, broken, or even evil. We are to respect the governing authorities and honor them as being established by God. This does not mean that we must agree with a law or with a person whose actions are contradictory to God's commands. But we are to honor the position and pray for the person. In fact, that's the instruction that Paul gives to us as well. We're to pray for our leaders. We're to be diligent in doing that. Peter's words are packed with meaning, especially when we recognize the person he's referring to is the very one who's going to sentence him to death. Isn't that incredible? You see, it's a reflection of the incredible grace of God. It's a reflection of Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus to go three years walking side by side with Judas? The scripture tells us that he knew from the beginning who would betray him. And yet everything that we read in the gospels, we see Jesus acting lovingly and graciously towards Judas. He is showing him the heart of God, whether he chooses to respond to it or not. That's the kind of call that Peter is placing upon our own heart and life. As Christian citizens, we should submit to the authority vested in human government 
And the word translated authority or um, your translation may say institution does not refer to each individual law or individual person, but to the overarching institutions that make and enforce the laws. It is possible to submit to the institutions and still disobey the laws when those laws run contradictory to God's word and to his law. For example, when Daniel and his three friends refused to obey the king's dietary regulations, they disobeyed the law, but the way that they did it proved that they honored the king and respected the authorities. In Daniel 1, we discovered that they were not rebels. They were careful not to embarrass the official in charge or to get him in trouble. And yet they stood their ground on their principles of their faith. They glorified God first and at the same time found a way to honor the authority of the king because in doing so, they were also honoring God. Peter and the other apostles faced a similar challenge shortly after Pentecost in Acts chapter 4 and 5. The Jewish council commanded them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But Peter and his associates refused to obey. They did not cause a rebellion or, or question or deny the authority of the council. They submitted to the institution. In fact, they were, they were imprisoned for it. But they also knew that they had to obey a higher law and they refused to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They showed respect to these men even though they were opposed to the gospel. And in so doing, they began to capture at least the questions of those who were in charge. One of the things that we see is that the um, early officials were amazed. They see that these are common, ordinary men, the scripture tells us, but that they had been with Jesus. They saw something absolutely radical about how they lived and how they followed Jesus. So it's important for us to ask the Lord to show us how to do what he wants us to do, but with a heart and attitude of respect that honors what he has established even if the individuals involved are not worthy or following what God would instruct. We need to exercise discernment in our relationships with human government in all of our cultures. And there are times when the right thing to do is to set aside our own privileges, and there are other times when using our citizenship and our rights is exactly what we should do. And we need the Lord to show us what to do and how to do it. We see this exemplified in Scripture as well. Paul was willing to suffer personally in Philippi, as we read about in Acts 16, 16 through 24. But he was unwilling to sneak out of the town like a criminal, we discover in verses 35 through 40. God called him to, to respond in a way that honored who God was. When he was arrested on false charges, Paul used his citizenship, he used his rights to protect himself and to appeal to a fair trial higher up the chain all the way to Caesar. And so what we're asking the Lord is to show us the right balance, the proper balance of using our liberty and submitting as well to those authority structures that God 
puts in place. And the, the key is to remember what is most important. We are ambassadors for Christ. He is who we are representing. And too often, we can get caught up, or at least I can get caught up, and spend more energy and passion debating a political issue on, on one facet rather than in learning to and choosing to love my neighbor and honor them. And that's where the transformation happens. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. In other words, he's saying he didn't feel a conviction that he needed to do this, but he chose to respond in a way that connected with the Jews. So So they would hear what he had to say. They would hear what he wanted to communicate about Jesus and about the resurrection. That I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. In other words, not under the dietary rules and and the laws of of the Sabbath, um, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law, the Gentiles. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them its blessings. That's what we're called to do. To live our life in such a way that others will see who Jesus truly is. And we, are, we live as people who are free. But we use our freedom as an opportunity to share the gospel. By the way, this is also what Jesus did. If you remember back in the Gospels, in, in, in Matthew, actually it's in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke, in uh, all three of the Synoptic Gospels, there's an account of where the Pharisees are doing their best to entangle Jesus into a political divide and argument. He's trying to, to, to they're trying to find a way to trip him up. And it has to do with taxes, Let's, let's turn there for just a moment because I, I think this helps to illustrate um, how we are to respond. Matthew twenty-two, fifteen 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. What Peter is instructing us to do is to learn to be like Jesus. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask him to show us how to respond in all circumstances.
Submission to government shows respect for God's sovereignty and a trust in his authority over all things. King Solomon in Proverbs states it this way. He said, my son, fear the Lord and the king and do not join with those who do otherwise for disaster from them will suddenly rise and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. He's recognizing that God has placed authorities in place to maintain peace. Or as, uh, as the, the rockers of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, because they all had versions of this, this is how they describe this, this song. Go ahead, there's a little video clip. Go ahead and play it. We need sound. Back it up again. It doesn't really work without sound. That silly little song that I grew up with and, and a few of you who are old enough grew up with, it's simply reminding us we're not to fight the laws that God establishes. And now some of you will be stuck with that song all day. And I do not apologize because at least you'll remember something about the message. May not be anything really important, but you'll remember that little song. It reminds us God is in control. He's working even though it may look like it's not. Well, Peter goes on, and, and, and just very briefly, I'm going to just hit on a couple of these, and then we're going to move into the Lord's Supper. He says the same thing about the workplace. These next verses, he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. We are to serve and honor our employers. And, and now, the, in the first century, there were different classes of, of society. You had um, you had those who were of power and influence and nobility. Then you had the merchant class. And, and then you also had the servant class, some of which were literally slaves. They were indentured servants oftentimes. And, and, um, and the scripture makes it clear that human trafficking, that enslaving another person um, is wrong. But often what would happen is the way that you became a slave was to pay a debt. And so... Um, there were different aspects to it. But God provided in his law a way for you to be able to, to, to not have that be a permanent situation where you could honor the debt and he provided a jubilee that would happen every seven years and then ultimately the same kind of thing happened in land transaction, transactions for his people every 50 years. But the principle here goes beyond um, slaves or servants to all of us. As followers of Christ... We should be the best employees our company has. No matter what, the ethic that drives us should be such that we work with quality in all that we do, with integrity. And here's the thing that, that I've found. I've, I've had many different supervisors over the years, both in, in ministry and before in, in my career. And I discovered that the secret is to only work for one boss, to recognize that everything I do is not necessarily for my supervisor, although I'm going to honor him because of the, or her because of the position that they have, the work that I do is for Jesus. He's my boss. 
whether I agree with the company policies, whether I agree with the instructions of my boss, whether I feel I'm being taken advantage of, I work for one person. And that takes so much pressure off. When things are stressful, I'm able to say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. It may not be the the thing that I want to do, but I'm turning it from something that is stressful to an act of worship because I'm doing it for your honor and your glory. We're to become like Jesus. And, And what we are called to do is to be the servants of all. And so how we respond in the workplace is incredibly important to our witness. You spend an immense amount of time with your coworkers, with your supervisors. You have an opportunity to show the gospel and then as relationships develop within the confines and the rules that fit within your particular circumstance, you're able to then share the reason for the hope that you have with them. When they see something different about you, that you're not competing with others to try to get ahead, but that you're honoring and building up others. You're encouraging those who are um, being successful and you're, you're, um, you're empathizing with those who are struggling. You're able to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a very real and practical way. That's what Peter is calling us to. He's calling us to be on mission in all that we do in every circumstance of life. He goes on later in the first part of chapter three to talk about that within the confines of marriage as well, that we submit to one another and we submit to the structures and authorities and positions that God has put in place, not because one is better than another, but because we're honoring Christ. Well, with each of these things, he's calling us to be on mission for God to become like Jesus and to have the attitude and actions of our Lord. He says in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing then, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin or are beaten for it if you endure? But when you are, do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And he goes on down in verse uh, 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like straying or you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What he's saying is keep your mind on God. The way to be able to navigate the challenges of our life in responding to the government and responding to the workplace and having the right heart and attitude in the home is to keep our thoughts focused on Jesus and what he has done. And to remember that he himself bore our curse on the, he bore our sin on the tree. And that he died so that we might live to righteousness. That's what we see portrayed in communion. What is represented by the bread and by the cup is Jesus' offering of himself totally for you and for I. 
The bread represents his body being given for us. And the scripture tells us that on the night before he was crucified, that Jesus took bread, that he blessed it, and that he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, eat this in remembrance of me. He was pointing them back to the picture of his sacrifice, of how he lived and how he loved and what he had done for them. It was a reminder that he had died. He had willingly given him his life for us. But also it pointed towards his resurrection, that he would rise from the dead, proving his divinity, and that he was powerful and offered the promise of our resurrection and the power that we need to overcome sin in our life. The bread represents his body given for us. And the cup represents his blood which was shed for us so that we might not only have the forgiveness of sins and as part of the new covenant, but that we might be covered or given his righteousness. That's what's portrayed in the Lord's Supper. And it's the same things that Peter is pointing us to here as well. Now, I told you this last week. God offers us resurrection power. But the only way to experience resurrection power is for there to be a death. You can't have resurrection unless someone dies. And in the case of following Jesus, what Jesus instructed us to do, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him die to self, take up his cross and follow me. The the power to live a life of spiritual diplomacy to live a life that impacts the world around us is found in dying to self and living to Christ. So today, as we come to the table and celebrate communion together, ask the Lord to enable you to do that, to die to self even as he willingly laid down his life for us and follow him. Follow his example, follow his commands, and choose to live your life in such a way that others will see Jesus in and through all that you do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, where um, the message has, has fallen short in so many ways, Lord, I just ask that you would speak, that you would make your word come alive, that you would bring clarity in the midst of confusion, you would bring boldness into our lives, that we might choose to live for you in all that we do that we might worship you, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. And now as we come to your table, Lord, even as Jesus instructed, Lord, we ask your blessing upon this bread. We partake of it in recognition that it represents the body of Jesus which was given for us. Lord Jesus, you gave all that you are to meet our need. So we ask your blessing upon this bread as we partake of it. Let us do it truly in remembrance of who you are, of what you have done. Let us do it in remembrance that you will one day soon return. And let us do it in a commitment to follow you and represent you as your ambassadors in this world. Likewise, Lord, we take the cup, which is your new covenant, It is the cup of your blood.
representing how you covered over all of our sin by dying on the cross and that your blood was spilt for us. But not only have you given us forgiveness, you have clothed us with your righteousness. Lord, let us accurately reflect who you are in how we live. We ask your blessing upon this cup. We ask your blessing upon your bride here in this congregation. Lord, may we truly commune with you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite the servers to come and to, to serve communion. Today we have regular bread, and then also there is, there is gluten-free for those that need it. In this tray, it's on the right-hand side. It's in a separate tray over there. Um, and so if you, if you need the gluten-free, you're welcome to partake of that. We have wine and we have juice, but let us do this in remembrance of our Savior.